Hello everyone and welcome back to the podcast. I'm your host, Ads Lyson. On the podcast this week, I have a podiatrist, surfer, BJJ purple belt and the owner of Warrior Grips Socks. This podcast is quite interesting and close to my heart because we talk about injuries, recovery and how someone from the podiatry world can help people on the jiu-jitsu mat but also help on surfing trips and how they developed a sock to help prevent injuries during yoga and jiu-jitsu. So, please enjoy my conversation with Sam Chidwick. Sam Chidwick, welcome to the podcast. Hi, it's lovely to meet you. And uh, I believe that you're down at the coast at the moment. You had a bit, bit of a break over uh, Woolacan Way. Yeah, I've just had my 37th birthday yesterday and uh, my fantastic wife booked us three nights in the Watersmeet Hotel um, just around the corner from Woolacombe in, in, uh, near Morthove. So, yeah, I mean, I was watching the surf forecast all week and it was ridiculous, sort of 60, 70, 80 mile an hour winds. Um, I actually made a decision when we came down, I didn't even bring my board. I, did, I took the roof rack off so that, uh, so that the car was more fuel efficient. <laughs> And didn't even bother with my board. But I must admit, I actually, on my birthday yesterday, decided to, I went around to Staunton because I thought it might be, a, there might be something happening there a little bit, a little bit cleaner and a hundred percent wasn't, but I went in anyway and uh, just enjoyed the white water for, for a couple of hours, which was lovely, but rent, rented a board from there, from the guys there. Yeah, I am. Um, I'm quite fickle with stuff like that now, even though I only live an hour away, I, I just can't mm. be. I can't be driving down anymore and uh, and jumping in the water when it's like that. It's um, it, it breaks my soul. Like I mean, I I did, I've driven down over the last couple of days to um, to Exmouth Beach, which is kind of like ten minutes from my house, but it doesn't really like it doesn't break that well um, because yeah. there's some sandbars that cover it and the estuary mouth. But yeah, I mean. Uh, I think if I'm desperate, I'll go down there. But yeah, apart from that, it's uh, it's uh, I just wait for the good swells to come through. You know, mate, I was the best. I was the best surfer in the water, though. You know, it's easy when you're <laughs> it's easy when you're the only one, and you're just and you're just dodging kite strings and uh, and windsurfers, basically. Yeah, um, I tell you what, though, like uh, Exmouth is one of those places that it's it's really heavy into water sports. You know, there's a lot of paddleboarders. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got the um, you've got the bridges that own uh, Edge Water Sports. They're like a right. world world champion uh, kite surfers, um, and uh, I I almost kind of nearly gone down the road of becoming a kite surfer or or a wing foiler, um, but can I really justify that with my my own hobbies through surfing and um, and jujitsu is buying lots of different things for that. Probably not. I haven't got enough room in my garage. I don't think. That's that's the issue, isn't it? I, I I actually lived at university with a guy who was a who was a kite surfer, and I I mean, the equipment is unbelievable, and the cleaning and the prep and the yeah, just everything like that. I just completely put me off the idea of it. But I must admit that the little wings seem that they seem quite cool. I like the I've seen a few guys down at Port Call uh, with the with the wings and the and the. The foils, and uh, apart from looking like they would absolutely sever your leg off if you if you got in the wrong place, they they look pretty cool, and and they're definitely very mobile on them. But I'd imagine it's quite a steep learning curve. Yeah, I mean that, that all that sort of stuff is is quite expensive, 
um, mm. to to kind of keep up with the modern times. I remember when I was younger, uh, you know, I started surfing when I was 14, but I, I've been sailing little dinghies and stuff since I was, you know, since I was in single digits. And uh, windsurfing was kind of the um, was kind of the follow on from that, really. But just to keep on top of like boards and uh, and and sails and stuff like that, and masts and booms, and it will be yeah. exactly the same with kite surfing because each year the developmental side of the the equipment develops so much. Is that you'll be out of season within a couple of years, and they're not cheap. They're like five, yeah. six hundred quid. You know, it's like buying a new surfboard every two years just to try and stay in line with what everybody else is uh, riding. Which, um, you know, is a good thing if you if you're a, if you're a maker and you're a brand. But apart from that, you know, you just empty in your pockets every couple of years. Yeah, and there doesn't really seem to be any sort of secondhand market that I've that I've come across in that in that area yet because it's relatively new. I mean, I think if someone tells me they want to get into surfing, I sort of say, well, look, you know, just like rent for a rent for a couple of sessions and then just go on Facebook Marketplace and grab yourself a a secondhand minimal or something. You can you know, pick or like a big, like an eight foot nine foot big and just like something indestructible that you can smash into the rocks as you're walking down the beach because you're just going to do that for the first couple of years. <laughs> and yeah. Yeah, get used to it so yeah there's not really that much it's, it's like I say it's a steeper learning curve with that sort of thing you've got to go you've got to go all in haven't you exactly uh so sam uh you are a multifaceted kind of person um you're a podiatrist bjj purple belt and uh, just started your own brand of um a grippy socks called warrior <laughs> warrior grips uh for jiu-jitsu and all other sports um that's just Tying to the podiatry side of things, so is that kind of like your, uh, your 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 main current job at the moment? Oh yeah, that's that's been my my career since um, I went to university at eighteen years old. Went down to Southampton to study podiatry, and uh, haven't haven't found a way of, of getting out of the profession yet, unfortunately. So yeah, I'm I'm, I'm still there. And as I say, thirty seventh birthday. It means I've been I worked out, I've been doing it longer than I've been you know for, for over half of my life now. So uh yeah you could say i'm i'm career long um it's one of those ones actually a lot of people the first thing people say is like how the heck do you get into a job like podiatry i mean for anyone who's who's doesn't know what it is which i'm sure a lot of people it's it's you know specializing in the foot foot ankle and and lower limb um and i'm predominantly a a sort of sports podiatrist so i specialize in in sports injuries or musculoskeletal conditions of the of the lower limb um, and yeah, it's a bit of a weird, a weird profession to get into. But um, but my brother was a, or brother is a physiotherapist, and I was sort of interested in healthcare and thinking about careers in that in that field, sort of a vocational career. I guess a little bit like like yourself with with, with the Marines. It's sort of that kind of opportunity to go into somewhere that's going to train you, and then you've got a job at the end of it. It's a pretty, uh, you know, it's it, it's a good a good opportunity. Um, and yes, yeah, so, so I did that for three years at university, then then started working in the National Health Service. I did 13 years NHS, where you sort of, you really learn how to do your job then. You know, you come out a bit green and really learn how to do your job. And then, yeah, just sort of slowly transitioned into private practice. So I now work for a clinic um, in Cheltenham called Superfoot, um, who is which is owned by a, a good friend of mine, a lady named Emma Price, who is a, a fantastic podiatrist as well. And, um, and yeah, so we sort of worked together now for, about five years and 
yeah, so I, I really enjoy my job. So I'm very, very lucky to get to work with loads of amazing athletes, Team GB um, athletes, look after Gloucester rugby players, England rugby players, um, Bristol, Worcester, for, for not, not, sadly not, not Worcester anymore, but, uh, but the women's team is still going. And yeah, just very lucky and loads and loads of injured martial artists <laughs> and, and jiu-jitsu guys. It's one of those things, isn't it, with with the body is that everyone kind of associates injuries with the major muscle groups. So they go to like to a chiropractor or, a, or an osteopath or something like that. And um, when when you're moving about, you forget that your your knees, your ankles and your feet take most of the load bearing of mm. all of that. And, and I don't think it's unless you're into, you know, being a, a foot fetish kind of person, I guess. Um, it's not something that you really kind of focus on. You wouldn't go to the gym and go, do you know what? I'm really going to focus on my toe strength today or my ankle strength. Um, it, it's, it's, it, is, it is kind of a weird one. And, you know, going from the background that we're from, you know, surfing and, uh, and jujitsu as well, the whole proprioceptive pattern and movement all comes or resonates from the foot and the way that the toes press into a board or into the mat so you can change direction, you know, shoot in for a takedown or, you know, you're using your feet in different types of guards in jiu-jitsu. You know, you've got to rotate your foot and use toe pressure when you're surfing, whether it's to slow the board down to turn it. And I think it's something that um, I found in therapy, uh, being a Bowen therapist, is that, it all starts at the bottom and works its way to the top. If you have issues with your with your feet, with your ankles, with your knees, it all kind of re residually affects everything else. So if your right foot is out of alignment, you know, your your hip's going to be out, then it's going to resonate into your shoulder. I keep using resonate quite a lot at the moment. I don't know why. <laughs> but yeah, it's because I've used no, a big boy word toilet paper. Big boy words. One 100% though, you're, you're right. I mean, you, you know, Look, you look at a surfboard that's been used for a while, and look at the compression compression dents on on the deck as well from the feet. And yeah, look at look at martial arts and and the positions. I mean, it's weird. I mean, I was actually in podiatry so before I started surfing. I started surfing in my twenties. I didn't start jujitsu till my late twenties. So, um, but yeah, hundred percent. I mean, weirdly, my my path into jujitsu came because a a guy arrived at my. I, I was working NHS, but but I was doing sort of a, a little private clinic down in South Wales. And this dude came in one evening, literally just like, he's a massive guy. Um, he's really tall, really big dude from, from Birmingham called Jim, who weird, weirdly actually adds, you, you remind me of him a little bit, the way you talk, which is quite interesting. Um, but, but Jim uh, just sort of banged on the door. He'd, he'd, um, he, won't, he won't mind me telling this story, but he'd, he'd had his ankle broken being, uh, being taken down in sort of MMA, um, probably like late 40s, I think, I guess when it happened. And, um, and yeah, he was like, dude, can you fix me? I was like, oh, you've had like a load of surgery. Uh, I'll do my best and sort of work with him for a bit. And we, we developed quite a friendship. At that point, I think I was, a, I just got my black belt in karate. Um, and, and Jim sort of said, he, he, it turned out that he's basically a, a sort of um, self-made millionaire concreter, uh, had this massive business. And, and then was just a philanthropist with it. He, he bought an old police station and converted all of the old sort of offices and cells into just padded all the walls. And he just basically said to me, look, just come along and train, dude. Here's a, here's a code to my 
private gym. I don't care like what time of the day and night. Just go and train. No cost, nothing. Like, such such a generous guy. And, and in the little town of, of Chepstow, which is which is where I'm from, and there, there were like martial arts schools around, but I just rocked up to this gym and there's all these guys there from like Tulare Combat and Newport MMA and things like that who were just doing extra training in um in this little gym and they absolutely I thought my karate would be would be handy against them but they absolutely bent me in half and uh I'm sort of rolling around on the mat getting armbarred and choked out and uh, it was a bit like that uh a bit like that scene in the matrix I'm like you know I'm, I'm gonna learn jujitsu <laughs> it, was, it was it was very much like I enrolled in a in a new club that was setting up then in Chapso within within the month and uh and start, started took, took my black belt off never wore it again put a white belt on I started a new sport it's quite funny there's, there's a guy that lives opposite me uh, I don't know whether he listens to this he, he might do he might not and um he where, where I am um, where I've set up my my school academy whatever you want to call it club I don't really know what I call it I don't know <laughs> anyway um uh, around the corner in the village hall they uh, they do show is it called Shokan Karate? Shotokan, yeah. There you go. See, yeah. that's how much I know about it. Um, <laughs> and uh, he got his black belt last year, I think. And uh, during the summer, he walks across the field because, you know, where it is is kind of right on front of a, a, a big playing field where the kids play. And he, he walks across and uh, one day I was I was putting the mats out, I just finished and I was um, just putting some music on. I looked out the fire exit door and he's walking across and I went, Ed, Ed, because he was wearing like his um, his karate, you know, uh, kimono, walking across the field. Well, we walking across the field in his gi and, gi and black belt. Yeah, but it's literally, so, so oh, where, where, where we live is literally, you, you walk out of our, our house, down a well, little right, path. I'm with you. And then it's like right, it's like a less than a minute walk. He's not walking around yeah, town yeah. in his in his gig because that would be weird. Um, I'd even say that was weird myself. So I mean, John John, Dan, his... John John Danaher does it, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah, he's a legend, boys. mate. So uh, <laughs> I think you can let him have that. <laughs> so so Ed's walking across the field, and uh, I, I through the forex door, I go, Ed, do you want to come in here and do a real martial art that works? And he just looked at me, and then we had a little bit of a laugh about it later. And I, I said to him, um, "You know, why don't you come and do a few classes?" And this is kind of the same for for a lot of the guys that have done judo previously. And uh, you know, I had another guy come in asking about his son starting training and stuff. And they're, they're all very much like, "Oh, I'm too old now. I'm too mm. old." And he's like in his late fifties. I was like, "Mate, you're never too old to start stuff like that." Um, I've got I've got a guy that started training with me about six months ago. He's been a judo black belt for about twenty years. Uh, his son's yeah. a brown belt, and he uh, instructs at Exeter University. I think his dad does as well. And um, yeah, it's really interesting because uh, they both came along and they they started training. And uh, because there's not that much uh, noaza now or groundwork in judo, it's kind of been taken out I, I suppose it depends which gym you which yeah, gym you train school, at. but yeah yeah they're, they're um they're coming in they're, their pinning stuff is really good but once people escape out of it you know they're they're flat on the ground you're taking the back mm. and it, it, it's it's quite interesting i think they got kind of quite humble to it and um but unfortunately for them they they got kind of injured um you know training with some bigger guys because 
it, 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 as you know, jiu-jitsu, when you when you first train, being the spazzy white belt, um, yeah. you, you don't really have any kind of control over your over your limbs or your um, your uh, aggressive movement patterns. So you know they they got they got injured um, and they haven't been back for a, for a month or so. But um, yeah, it was just interesting seeing um, seeing new guys from different martial arts training, like you say, and it, it's quite humbling, isn't it, when you when you think you're yeah. all right, but then you're not. I mean, I can't, I can't thank that little bunch down in chat, though. I can't thank them enough, really. I mean, particularly Jim. Cause I, I, but saying, funnily enough, talking about the, the sort of, the sort of, yeah, the, the white belt, ro- rolling with a new white belt. And, uh, we were doing one of the first sessions there. We were doing sort of little seven ounce MMA gloves on. So it was sort of grappling from, from knees, but, but striking as well. Cause Jim was always very much like, you know, it keeps the gate, it keeps it moving. Uh, if you can, if you can throw a few hands in as well. And I think I just pulled guard. He was, and, and yeah, basically just, just pulled guard, like double, double overhooks and pulled him in and just accidentally nutted him and split his eye open. And uh, that's probably my third session. So yeah, thank you very much for giving me access to your amazing gym for free. I'm going to, I'm going to send you to A&E. Um, but yeah, I think he just chucked a bit of super glue in it and carried on. And he was that sort of guy. <laughs> Chick sticks yeah. cars anyway. Yeah, for sure. And that's, yeah. That's a hundred percent afraid he'd say as well. Are you from Are you from the Midlands? Yeah, I am. I, I, I originally I, I grew up in a little town called Redditch, just on the um, on the yeah, outskirts yeah, yeah. of Birmingham, just south of the M42. So that that explains why you sound a bit like him. That's quite funny. Yeah, I'll get him to listen to the podcast. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I I moved away when I was seventeen, eighteen, when they joined the Marines. So I've got oh, okay. a, I got a hint of Devonian in there from being away from twenty years. Yeah. So. Yeah, my monotonous tones of being a brummy to some. How, where's that to? Is uh, it comes in every now and again, which is you know kind of weird, I guess. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, I try try being English, but living in Wales for most of your life, yeah, it's the same thing. No, I think you can get away with that. Yeah, not yeah. such not such a not such a contrast, maybe. The uh, the surfing side of things, then. So you said you. Uh, um, Living around the Porth Call area, um, you know, is is that when you decided to to get into surfing? Because I, I know you mentioned you were about twenty when you got into it. Yeah, I think it was like early early twenties. Yeah, I, um, my brother, my other brother, not not the physio, uh, but the other brother got got into surfing, and I think I came down to actually probably to Woolacoon for a weekend um, and just you know, borrowed or, or had a couple of little body boards and was just sort of doing that but he had a he had a magic carpet it's like mini mad and, and i had to go on that loved it rented a foamy the next day and then yeah i think just just crap on like that so i it was around then that i realized that there was i'm so chaps is pretty about on, on a good run about 45 50 minutes from from rest bay or school so you can yeah i used to bomb down there as often as i could then um even sort of go down there crack a dawn with a, with a couple of friends and then get back in time for work then drive like all the way up to Gloucester to the, to the hospital for work. So, uh, yeah, I, I, that was my sort of, when you just got that endless energy, haven't you, <laughs> at that age? Um, I probably, I mean, I, I'm, I've never like progressed at surfing that much. I think I just kind of got to like a, a level of being like okay and then just plateaus. But I'm kind of happy with that now. I mean, I'm not, I'm not like pushing it hard. It's sort of like fourth or fifth on my list probably but but then in terms of lifestyle probably one of my absolute favorite activities so it's, it just always puts me in a good mood 
Yeah, I am. Um, I mean, I've been quite fortunate in the fact that you know I started surfing when I was fourteen, like I mentioned, and when I when I was, you know, started in the Marines, I spent a couple of years up in Scotland, which I didn't actually surf up there then. I just drank a lot and played rugby, um, mm. so I was about eighty-five kilos, um, ten kilos heavier than I am now. So you know, I was, I was, I was, I was quite big, and I just got into that kind of culture of um, you know working. And um, you know, working hard and playing hard, and it wasn't until I um, I actually came down to down to the south coast and I got drafted down to Plymouth that I realised like I just kind of wasted a couple of years where I could have been surfing some absolutely amazing waves on the east coast mm-hmm. of Scotland, um, all to myself, or maybe with a couple of guys that actually surfed up in um, up in uh, up in Arbroath. So. Uh, yeah, I mean, when I when I came down to when I came down to Plymouth, that was like in two thousand and two thousand and three. Um, that's when I properly kind of sunk my teeth into it because I was, you know, uh, an hour an hour's drive from Newquay. Uh, Bantham was around the corner as well, which is just kind of east of uh, east of mm. Plymouth. You know, that was a forty minute drive from from where I was based, and uh, we just spent literally the whole time. Uh, you know, driving down to the coast whenever it's good. And I, and I, I actually had a conversation about this yesterday saying that I wasn't one of these stereotypical guys that joined the, joined the forces and, you know, want, wanted to read books about guns and weapons and learn about it all. It was kind of weird. Like every time I finished doing something, I just went back to my room and I put a surfing DVD on or read a book and, and, and about surfing and, um, you know, I was looking at the forecast and back then you didn't have, you know, surfing forecasts as it was because the internet mm-hmm. wasn't really kind of viable. It was very much about like reading it, reading the newspaper. And, um, and, uh, if you remember big G's forecasting where you had to ring an 0800 number, no, it wasn't a porn line. It was an 0800 number <laughs> for a forecast. And, uh, yeah, it was, it, it was, it was kind of like a, a different time, an interesting time really. Yeah, a bit more like the pi- almost as well, like a bit more pioneering, trying to find like you know now it is everything in around the UK pretty much. I know I know on previous episodes you you drop in about about little secret spots and things like that, and there's there's a couple of little places in South Wales that friends have, have introduced me to where you have to sort of trespass across old you know steelworks and various things to get there. But but yeah, generally the UK is is very well plotted, isn't it? And uh, and it's like uh, yeah, it's it, I can imagine that would have been quite a cool time. I similarly with jujitsu, I guess it had that had that time a couple of decades ago where that was a uh, was the new the new kid on the block, and and it was these oh there's there's a there's a purple belt up in you know two hours away. Should we drive up and train with that train with that purple belt? He's he's like you know been to Brazil or something like that. It's uh, surfing was a bit like that, I'd imagine. I think so at the moment in this country especially there are certain places in the uk that are very much like that i've got a friend that's from um up up by norfolk and you know he's a brown belt in jiu-jitsu and you know where his where his family are there's nothing within a 30 mile radius Mm. you go to some of the smaller i mean even even down where i am um there's there's kind of a, a big sort of like gap um just outside of Exeter. Um, My friend opened a gym up in North Devon and there wasn't really anything there. There was like a little MMA place 
um, you know, proper spit and sawdust. And uh, there was nothing really up there, but but there is now. There's a couple of gyms up there. So there are places around the country that have kind of still to be introduced um, to kind of, you know, I guess you could call it like real real world fighting. I suppose it depends how yeah. you coin it and how and how you train it. But something that is, um, you know, not your stereotypical and don't you know shoot me for this, but your your stereotypical cry where you're just punching the air and mm. and actually when it comes to an actual conflict, you might be, you know, pretty good at doing like these cutters, but they don't actually work because you don't do it in that physical environment or the, like sparring MMA yeah. you know even just putting you know five seven ounce gloves on and some shin pads you know and kind of semi going for it um, I don't think you really see that because the kind of clientele that people are pulling in with, with karate especially from what I've seen um, is very kind of like your your generic um average human that goes to it that doesn't particularly like bodily contact and if they did they mm. probably wouldn't go back again i don't know i'm stereotyping here by the way no 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 i mean i 100 i i i can't you can't speak for every every club in the country but but yeah i let's put it this way that the school i was at had you know pretty much a session every night there'd be 10 15 20 people at every session then then once a week they did a, a full contact sparring class and there'd be like two of us or three of us, but then everyone would get their belts at the same six monthly or 12 monthly interval, regardless of whether or not you sparred, because the belts were just based on kata and, and that and pattern, that, that, that sort of thing. And the, in, the interesting point about that as well, which I've, I've learned since, I mean, I, I, you know, I just got into it because I love love martial arts since I was a little kid, um, you know, Star Wars geek growing up, full of the Jedi, you know, that whole thing really wanted, to, I got into Aikido a bit at university and, and sort of just love that sort of warrior ethos, hence the branding in, in, in the socks as well. And, um, and yeah, just kind of, uh, I just, there was a school near, a bit similar to what you're just saying, karate was basically, there was a school near my house. So that's why, I, that's why I picked that. Um, <laughs> little did I know there was a Master Scan Academy uh, at my, uh, Thai boxing not too far away from me too and that would have put me on a completely different trajectory um, I, I've been lucky enough to, to do some uh, Thai boxing out in Thailand actually on two separate sort of trips and that, that's, that's the real deal as well I mean gosh, that, that, those guys are pretty insane um, but yeah I think weirdly we're talking about sort of the spread of the spread of jiu-jitsu and, and the spread of surfing and obviously the impact the internet has had you know you can now go and, and watch techniques with you know, on YouTube, you can go and learn. I, I could say, oh, you know, my bottom turn was really crap yesterday when I went in the sea. I go watch like 10 YouTube videos on with, with somebody on my exact surfboard or same length surfboard and watch their body position. You know, it's, it's insane what you can do. Your, your kata in karate, was that was YouTube. That was how one, one sort of group of martial artists who came up with a new technique could then travel across the country and demonstrate that to somebody else or teach that to somebody else using using a pattern and that was that was a repeatable form of at that point of, of teaching so that was that was the youtube of of the day almost and the, the weird thing that i've learned with a lot of the catholic where you are punching the air or you're perhaps it looks like you may be doing a block and then that actually it, it's all been taught wrong over each time it's taught it's it's taught incorrectly probably and passed on incorrectly and there are purists out there who try and maintain these forms, but 
But basically, what looks like a strike was actually a throw rather, rather than a strike. But because you don't have an opponent, you, you, it's taught then as a strike. So I, as I've started to learn jiu-jitsu and I've done a little bit of judo as well, I've actually realized that a lot of the karate, it's all the same movement. It's all the same body movements. It, of course it is. It came from the same dudes. <laughs> but it's all just like spread in these different ways and being taught in different ways. Um, so yeah, that, that's a massive thing. But like you kind of touched on a point a minute ago, the fact that jiu-jitsu and the same with MMA, the fact that it's, it's realism is, a, is, yeah, you've got someone's weight against you. You can, you can feel the pressure of a, ta- of a technique. You can, everything is different. Kata, you, you stop your kick on, on the center line because it looks, it looks nice and neat. You know, at any, at any strike in martial art, you kick, you kick through your opponent. You don't try and stop on the center line. You, you're, you're looking to kick through. So it changes everything when you've got somebody resisting you and somebody fighting, fighting back. The, um, Warrior socks, or warrior grips, sorry, not warrior socks. Because it's a sock, I just thought, you know, Uh, warrior grips. Yeah, yeah. Um, They're obviously derived from um, ankle injuries on the mat and surfing. Um, Mm. What was kind of like your your thought process behind it and, and starting that up? So, yeah, definitely. They they came from, from jiu-jitsu 100%. So, I'm I'm kind of like the on map medic um, at the club a lot a lot of the time. You know, if somebody hurts there, a lot you get a lot of injuries for an ankle. People often saying, "Oh, can you have a look at this?" Or kind of like drain someone's cauliflower ear if they want, or various little things that I've ended up doing. And uh, and then I've I've just had sort of a string of of people, guys and girls from from the gym, come into my clinic because they've twisted their ankle. Um, I kind of a few years ago, I I got thrown quite heavily, landed, fractured my big toe. Um, a few months later, then fractured the other big toe. I think I, I scanned it at the clinic. I had some like six little little fractures in my in the, you know you know how small those little bones are, and they just don't bend now. Um, so I I started wearing um some sort of I tr- I tried a few different uh few different brands of yeah you can get you can get martial arts socks gripper socks and things. I, I tried a couple of different brands. Um, not 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 sort of naming names or anything, but couple of them the more sort of neoprene materials my foot just started to sweat inside and and you sort of then lose traction a couple of them just just fell apart or ripped apart really quickly so I just thought there must be something good on the market that typical sort of thing couldn't find something good so I think my, my wife said to me well why don't you uh why don't you make it because it's your job <laughs> you know you, you understand the foot so yeah started going back and forth with a with a load of um of manufacturers and uh and then one one sort of company stood out. They just really kind of got what I was looking for with the sort of the placement of the grippers. For instance, um, with, when you get some gripper socks, the whole bottom or all up the side is covered in these grippers, which then is fine when you're stood up. But in jujitsu, as soon as you you on your back, you try and slide your foot through under someone's. You know, say you want to retract your foot quickly from someone's armpit, throw it over their neck for a triangle, just a basic move. And you've got grippers all around the side of the sock or on the side of the sole. It, it then gets gets trapped there. And uh, so I sort of just was going back and forth with these guys. Like, oh, could you move them in another five mil? I'll try those ones. Oh, could you move them in another 10 mil? Could you, I don't want them all the way to the back of the heel. I don't want them all the way to the front of the toes. So, yeah, they, they just really got it. And, and we went back and forth. And then one day I had to order 750 pairs to take the minimum order quantity. And I now feel like Dell Boy. I've just got boxes of socks in the spare room, and uh, 
I need to sell them. That's, that's, the, that's the goal. So yeah, I, I've um, built a website, um, started a social media, a social media campaign and, and various things. And yes, I've selling them in person in, to the club and to like a couple of local gyms. And I'm being so chuffed with the feedback, like everyone's saying, quite a few people saying, why, you know, you need to sell these for more money. People saying, look, you know, I'll buy one pair and then messaging me a couple of days later and saying, can I have another five pairs? You know, just they're really, really positive. Um, yeah, just need to take it to the next level now. I think there's kind of like a, a, a multifaceted branding thing you can do with them there, you know, pushing mm. them out to, to different sports as well, I guess, especially, you know, even karate, even, you know, doing um doing cutters and movements on, on uh, old wooden gym floors um, stuff <laughs> yeah. like that, so they don't they don't slip over on their ass well I got um, I got a couple of, of design uh, yeah different designs that I've sort of locked in with the manufacturer but you know every time you order them you've got to order a minimum amount and so it's, it's that reinvestment side of it but yeah I've got, got a couple of designs which will, will be slightly different for striking because you, you want the grip in slightly different location perhaps um, but yeah 100% and, and um, yeah kind of had a guy come back the other day saying he started wearing them for rugby. I've got a couple of people wearing them for, for yoga, um, getting into the winter, obviously. So a lot of gyms are just cold, you know, part-time gyms, you, someone, someone flicks in five minutes before you start and mop, you know, turns the gas heater on, which has barely had any impact by the time you get in there. So just sort of from that perspective, um, yeah, loads of other sports, hopefully. Since, I mean, the rugby world cup, yeah, you say you play rugby. There's a lot, a lot of teams wearing grip, grip socks now in, inside the rugby boots, and I think a lot of footballers are starting to do it just to that interface then between the foot and and the boot is is a uh, has no room for for movement, room for friction, which is yeah quite quite a cool angle that I can push into as well. Hopefully, apart from the the um, grip on the bottom of it, you know what what other um, what other kind of properties do do they provide? So in terms of first and foremost was material selection, like using the sort of the blend of materials that I went for so that they were breathable rather than this sort of more neoprene, um, almost like a, some, some of them almost like a wetsuit boot. So your foot just starts to sweat. So I really wanted them to be breathable, but without compromising on, on strength. So, so there's sort of material selection, most, mostly cotton, but like the, the weave of the mesh and things to, to allow it to be breathable, prevent blistering and that sort of thing. Um, but I've then also added uh, midfoot, so over the top of the midfoot and around the ankle, um, extra material and sort of elasticity woven in, so that they're they're quite compressive. Um, and that's one thing I think if, if somebody does buy a pair and tries them on, they they feel like when you first put them on, they're like these are really tight, but they're supposed to be. It's it's it's, it's sort of compressive to help prevent ankle sprains or or, or midfoot pain that you can develop. You know, we anyone who's trained jujitsu or you know, judo or anything like that for a long period of time it you know you know how often you can rip your little toe back or or you just get that pain you know so many common foot and ankle conditions that come from, from training in these sports and yeah it's just giving you a little bit of protection with the the characteristics so i've just thought about common injuries and how i can sort of combat them a bit yeah i i, I was wondering whether there was any stability within it um as well i, I was yeah. at, i don't know i said we were talking about this the other day, but I generally was. Uh, we, we were talking about. I've. Um, I used to have these jigsaw mats that I that I'd use for guys, and uh, just from, um, you know, the the forty mil like jigsaw mats. Mm. I got them. Yeah, yeah. I can't remember where I got them from now. Anyway, but it doesn't matter. 
and uh what i found was that the friction on the mat was was um there was quite a lot of friction on it too so too much we, yeah yeah so when we were doing takedowns especially like some of the judo guys and then i started to notice it there was quite a few um there was quite a few like foot injuries and then there was an like mate this was savage like savage so one of my one of my biggest students we were just doing like some some warm-up drills like tapping the shoulder sprawling and um all he did was he was in his fighting stance and he stepped backwards and his big toe went down first and snapped clean in half but yeah. it was an open fracture as well oh God. so right, okay. um <laughs> he stopped and went oh Ads, yeah, I've uh, I think I've done something. So he went over the, and the adrenaline, the adrenaline was there for a minute. Yeah, well, no, because he was uh, he was a marine as well, like bit, really yeah. big lad, and um, he went and sat on the side, and uh, not that that makes any difference whether it's a marine or not. If you hurt, you hurt. <laughs> Doesn't matter who you are. Uh, yeah, pain <laughs> maybe. Yeah, he went over to the side and I was like, right, just just bend your toe a little bit, and you know, see if you've got any movement. And then he was trying to bend his toe, and it. Where it where it snapped was where the cuticle is on the on the big toenail at the very bottom. Yeah. Um, there was like a little cut across the top of that, and it wasn't bleeding. It was just kind of like opened up a little bit, yeah. and um, yeah, he he couldn't really like move his toe that much. So anyway, yeah. I, I went to kind of like just kind of feel it, mate. It was like I can't. How can I explain it? Um. It was like a really floppy sausage, like, yeah. like from that cuticle bit. Like I did it with my finger; it kind of like yeah. just bent. Oh, mate, it was it well, was the whole horrendous. the whole toe, the whole yeah, yeah, like right I mean, at the was... very end. It was just kind of like imagine getting a biscuit, like, and you snap yeah. it, but like it because it's held together by the skin. That was it. That was all that was holding it there. Okay. Yeah, I mean, in that instance, obviously, yeah, you've got the nail. The nail plate itself can can become completely detached um but that's actually where my fracture was as well so i i say somebody um sort of hit hit an uchimata on me and um my right foot was was the foot that was still my left foot was taken up in the air and then but i ended up sort of countering it and pivoting so both of our body weight went through my right big toe on the apex of it and similar sort of thing just it, it lasted like on, i was on point in ballet type position and then lasted for about a split second and then just just bent over and, and took like, I don't know, probably like 28 stone combined <laughs> through my big toe. So yeah, and, and that's, yeah, those those things like, they heal, don't get me wrong, they heal, but they never heal quite the same. Like you never get your full range of motion back. And it actually goes back to your point earlier, that's partly because nobody goes to the gym and rehabs their big toe, right? <laughs> you know, I, I tell people to all the time, I'm forever writing writing plans. And I must admit, I've been a, I've been a good person myself. I, I do my own sort of, <laughs> rehab in that sense but yeah it's, it's a bit of the body that once the pain's not there you just kind of crack on um but then the next time you get put in that position you've not got as much you know your range of motion for i mean you, you know this with with your with your therapy that you do once once somebody's had an injury they, they're at a higher risk of getting another injury in that same area so that's that's where the, the again go time back to the socks you know it's that it might be that injury prevention. It's very hard to say if something's preventing injury. You know, I've not done a randomized control trial on these looking at injury prevention. I've just had a lot of experience in, in the field. Um, but once, if you've had an injury once, then it's that sort of protective mechanism. Let's face it, who wants to be off training jujitsu because you've hurt your big toe? Like, that's just not, it's not a thing. <laughs> you don't want to be doing that. 
I think that's something that's really overlooked again is the proprioceptive training and the, the strength really. that comes with things because um, I did a um, like a, a surfing movement uh, instructor course about well, it would have been a year ago, a year ago mm. this month with a with a guy called uh, uh, Rodrigo Perez. In uh, in he trained some of like the the high level surfers in uh, on the Gold Coast. Amazing, yeah. And and all these kind of types of movements, they're all very much like um, proprioceptive stability: hips, ankles, mm. knees, shoulders, neck, wrists, elbows. And it's not they're nothing they're not really complex exercises, but when you get people to do them, you can see that they don't have any stability. For instance, one of them that's just like a little crawl, where you keep your knees ninety degrees, your hands underneath your shoulders, and you're doing really really small like half an inch movements, really really yeah. nice and slow uh, on your toes. Like I said, your your knees just kind of like you know a centimeter off the floor. And the whole idea is that you can see someone's uh, hip stability, whether their hips are swaying or not. And you try and tell people. So I do this as a warm up in my uh, in my club. And um, the amount of people that struggle with doing this, even just doing like five or six kind of strides with it, it really shows like the 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 poor strength that people have in in these areas. Which you know, if you don't, you have that proprioceptive stability. Once the bigger muscle groups tire the proprioceptive muscle groups, the smaller muscles within the joints take over and then they tire really quickly because they're only small. And that's when you yeah. start, you know, getting your, um, your musculoskeletal injuries. And um, what I used to do when, before I'd go on surf trips is because I wanted to be in the water quite a lot, you know, and I wanted to maintain, you know, a good endurance in the water. I didn't want to be the guy that was getting out um, last, uh, sorry, first. So what what I used to do was all of my kind of strength training that I used to do I used to do like on a bowshoe ball or a balance um, uh, a balance board, so you yeah. know whether it was bench you know I'd lie on a bowshoe ball and do bench through that my dumbbell training, um, I almost got to the point where I'd put like a like a find I found a MDF plank put it on the top of an old school gym vaulting box. You remember those ones that used to have like yeah, yeah. from doing gymnastics? Yeah. And then I'd put a ski erg like right next to it. And I'd have that, you know, that postural stability where you're arching your back, your heads are up, mm. but then, you know, using the ski erg to, to pull down with and, and then you'd have that stability where you'd have to correct it, get your hip work going in your neck and your shoulders just to maintain that, that, that position on there. And I think a lot of people just kind of either one don't have the knowledge or experience um, about anatomy and physiology to do that, which you probably know yourself. A lot of people really don't know that mm. unless they're into it. And uh, and secondly, it takes effort and time and yeah. people don't have the time these days to do stuff like that, to you know, for, for injury prevention or even just anything like that, really. It's interesting as well, isn't it? I mean, that that element of the functional. There's actually it's someone I, I've chatted to quite a few times. Um, Surf Fit Academy, uh, Ollie, his name. Yeah, Ollie, I know Ollie. Okay, cool. I've chatted to him a few times about it, about that sort of thing, and uh, um, and yeah, basically, um, it's actually he's he's very sort of anti balance balance boards and balance work and that sort of thing. So he's like, well, that's not you know, research doesn't support that side of it, which is quite interesting, and it's that that sort of um that finding that that perfect um functional training has to be a combination of many different things like like you say it takes time 
And it also takes um, it takes time, it takes experience, and it, it takes the sort of willingness to try something, find it's not effective, and have the confidence to say, well, actually, this isn't right for me. I'm going to change to a different exercise. I'm going to change to a different, you know, how am I going to use my half an hour that I have this evening to maximize my outcomes um, and, and fight the aging process and take into consideration previous injuries that I've had and the fact that it's not just surfing, you you know, it's jujitsu as well. And it's also, I want to be able to go on a road bike ride on the weekend, you know, so yeah, it's a balance, a massive balance. And actually you mentioned it were, you know, proprioception quite, quite a few times. I, I once you've had an injury, I, there's quite a, a good body of evidence to show that your proprioception possibly never fully returns or, or, you know, is one of the slowest things to return. Once you've taken out your, lateral ankle ligaments because you've gone over on it then you're more you're significantly more likely despite doing rehab exercises you're still more likely to go over on that ankle again because the the, the nerves you know, the, the mechanisms that work i.e the proprioceptive mechanisms basically lose the ability to know where your foot is in relation to your body and so don't fire the muscles quick enough to, to stop you going over on that ankle again and and it is yeah i mean we're constantly we 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 understand really so such a small amount still about about the body in in the grand scale of things and how things work and disseminating that then to a to a client or to yeah to the public it gets even harder doesn't it you know that you're doing your therapy i mean is yours is your therapy very much hands on or do you set people exercise programs as well no so i i haven't i don't have a gym i've got a um i've got a therapy room that i rent and that's Mm. it so the bone technique uh therapy is um all about uh fascia so using Mm -hmm. fascia to be able to release muscle tension and um you know when when you get injured say for instance you have a dead arm or you know you pull a muscle that Mm. tension becomes you know really really tight uh, within the muscle tissue because it's protecting Mm. it but if it's really, really tight and it's protecting something as an automatic response, then um, your body's never going to be able to repair it or heal it because it's not going to be able to put the blood flow in and get rid of all the toxins and um, and all the other nasty stuff that's inside there that mm. that that that, that um, you know holds on to the injury. So that that's basically what uh, the, yeah. my sort of therapy does. No, I've, re- I've I've read read bits about it before. I mean, interesting. I mean, probably the most common musculoskeletal condition that people come to to podiatry for is is plantar fasciitis oh and mate I, don't, use, talk, don't start with that <laughs> and, I'll, and i'll and i'll use i use inverted commas because 95 percent of the time it's not plantar fasciitis it's you're, you're probably looking at plantar fasciosis or fasciopathy or possibly a small fascia tear um and yeah it, you know this is umbrella term when actually people talk of it like it's inflammatory itis, but it's not actually inflammatory. It's it's to do with with the the ability of those fibers, as you're saying, to sort of almost glide glide over one another. And uh, yeah, and I mean, I I use um, I'm actually training at the moment down at Bournemouth University um, to do sort of diagnostic uh, ultrasound scanning. So I, I use ultrasound in my clinic to actually. So when someone comes in with heel pain, stick the probe on and actually measure the thickness of the fascia, which has been really interesting that the different thicknesses of it versus perhaps how long somebody has been suffering with the, with the problem for and actually how infrequently I see any, uh, any indication of inflammation. It's you know, very infrequent that I see inflammation unless it's more of a, of a, of an acute tear or, or partial rupture in the fascia. 
Um, but in, when, if I just see a thickened fascia uh, and I don't see any inflammation or any evidence of a tear, then, then our go-to is extracorporeal shockwave therapy, which is basically, you know, exactly what you've just described. You're trying to, you're trying to flush it out, blast it, create inflammation and, and yeah, bring, bring new, uh, new sort of um, blood flow to the area, which yeah, I'm sure, I guess that's got similarities to, to your techniques in that sense. I find that the, the majority of kind of foot injuries and stuff that, that people get, um, like this is an opinion. It's not fact. There's probably research into it. I've not read it, but I would generally say that it's down to the footwear that people wear and, um, you know, the trainers that people wear with, with all the, the, the soft support that is, mm. you know, suggested inverted commas that is there. Um, you know, Nike Air Maxes are there to, cushion the heel well the foot and the body are not designed to have that cushioning mm. so when you no. like my the worst thing that i hate to see is when i'm walking around and i see people wearing like rocket dogs or rugs or something like that and they've trodden the like the back of the heel in and you can oh, yeah, see like yeah. the wear on it and they've had them for about you know two or three years of their favorite shoe and then they'll look and then they'll look up and I look at like the bone, like say for instance, if they've got wear on the outside heel, you look up and they've generally got bow legs, you know, their, yeah. their knees bend inwards. And I'm like, oh my God, your posture is shocking. Well, yeah, I mean, you look at, and so so going back to the, the big toe, uh, you know, if somebody has reduced range of motion at their first, at their, at their big toe joint, you know, then then basically, and, and they are perhaps, then they're, they're, they're sort of, I mean, I'm going to just use terms arch. There isn't actually an arch in the foot, just to be super, you know, but we use the term arch to describe the, you know, the, the bit on the inside of the foot. Um, if that is in a, sat in a lower position, so again, I'll use it air commas of flat-footedness, you know, and that sort of thing, then to compensate for that, yeah, that, that failed posture of the foot and the fact that you can't walk through that big toe joint, you then externally rotate. So you, you, t you turn your foot outwards to compensate for that. And instead of rolling through the big toe, you roll across the big toe. So if you've had a big toe joint injury from jujitsu and it doesn't bend properly, instead of rolling through that joint, you roll across, which is why people get that lump of callus on the, on the inside of the big toe joint very often, or perhaps why people develop bunions, that sort of thing. And, and as a result, exactly like you said, one of the first observations is they completely collapse the outside heel of the shoe down because they're landing on that outside edge as well so they're those people who always wear their their boots out on the, on the outside and yeah 100 percent like but interestingly i'll flip i'll flip the whole thing on its head because you said at the start about um about a lot of things coming from the foot i always always train but i actually students who come and sit in with me and 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 i try and work like this i, I try and look holistically so if somebody has got a flat foot I, I, I hammer home the glute strengthening work and the, you know, and all that, because if, if you're talking about genu valgus where the knee is like that sort of knee rolling in, then yes, you get the, the glutes, the external rotators of the leg firing and working better, particularly in runners, for instance, get that warm up involving glute recruitment exercise, then suddenly the knee's in a better position and suddenly the foot's in a better position. So, you know, it's a, it's a bottom down top, you know, bottom up, top down approach, isn't it? It's an interesting concept, really, because a lot of the clients that I get to come that are come through my clinic, I've either got um, neck issues, upper back, shoulders, or the mm. predominant one. I'd say 
90% of my clients that come through have have lower back issues. Well, I just kind of stand them up and and do a few observational um, sort of like things, moving them around in their uh, in their natural sort of like supine uh, position, and mm-hmm. um, and nine times out of ten they've got really tight hip flexors because mm-hmm. of being sat down all the time and being in a you know in a um, in a static position for a long period of time. And uh, and their posterior chain is really poor because it's constantly lengthened. So I just get them to do a, a few kind of hip stretches. And um, yeah, one of the one of the things that I laugh about when I say it, and it's kind of like I could just press record and play the majority of the time when people come through because I I, I kind of use the the, the same analogy of um, of an elastic band. You know, you push an elastic band together and you hold it there for a long period of time and then you Mm. try and stretch it. It becomes kind of brittle and tough and then it will snap. That's kind of what happens when, you know, your hip flexors, if you're sat in the seated position and the same with an elastic band for your posterior chain. If you sat down all the time, you stretch an elastic band all the way out and you hold it there for, you know, two or three, four weeks couple of months and then you let it go and it'll come in a little bit but it will stay lengthened and it has no way to contract itself back together and this is the reason why you know people get that lower back pain from a uh, anterior pelvic tilt position because it pulls the hips back which then pinches on their lower back but if they've you know got some form of sciatica that are kind of like a, a a causality of this as well you know they might choose one leg or the other which then resonates there you go using that word again <laughs> resonates down through into their knee their ankle yeah. uh, and and gives them foot issues which you know like you're saying there it's not just about looking at a, a specific issue it's about yeah. looking at um you know the the body as a whole and i find it's quite an interesting kind of thing when i watch because i'm quite a bit of a pest with surfing technique um after doing a podcast uh you know a year or a couple of years ago with the guys from uh Ombi. and when i when i watch people when they surf some people get up really slowly some people you know are, are quite sprite and they can pop up um you know quite well and then the people that complain about that you know they can't get up quick enough or um they they're kind of blaming the board or they're they're their um their surf wasn't a, a good session it's all down yeah. to kind of their their mobility in their in their joints aren't great because you know surfing might be their only sport outlet but because they don't do any any strength training because they there we go inverted commas again they don't have time to train it yeah. or any kind of form of flexibility then it really reduces their ability to be able to perform to what they want to yeah, 100%. You, you hit the nail on the head there. Definitely. It's in, you're talking about the, the elastic band. I mean, I, yeah, I've got, um, I've got like foot models in the clinic that we've sort of stuck, yeah, like Chinese tape and elastic bands to, to exactly that reason. Just, I find that the ability to, if you can explain that to somebody in the clinic so that they leave, not with a set of exercises, not with a pair of orthotics to go into their shoes or whatever but with the understanding of why it hurts that is so powerful um and and you talk about your, your plantar fascia you know that, that heel pain again every you know, nine out of ten times it's worse with that first step in the morning get out of bed put your foot down 
ow, I can't walk, you loosen it off a bit. And it's like, yeah, well, when you sleep, your foot, your, your foot's pointed, it's relaxed, it's all shortening. And, and as soon as you stand, it's suddenly under that tension. Yeah, you're 100% right. And it's, it's that. When we think about movement, we think about the movement, but there's also the pre-movement and the post-movement that go into that movement and, and how, how important, how crucial that is as well. It's funny, but again, Elastic Band, our, um, one of our coaches a couple of months ago, Jack, uh, Jack Benfield, who's a, a black belt, um, one, of, one of our coaches, is, he's, he's just said during training, spring can't be, can't be a spring if it's already been sprung. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I, it, it was his, his way of explaining that exact theory. And, and I think quite a few people, everyone laughed at it, but it was also just like, that makes complete sense. It's like, if you're, um, if, if you're in the bottom of side control and you're trying to, and you, you manage to get your knee back in and you're looking to, to sort of regard, if, you're, if your knee is, your leg is completely compressed against your body, it's, it, everything's too compressed to work. And if your leg is too far away from your body, there's no, you've got no potential movement. So it's, it's all about, and jiu-jitsu is about finding that midpoint. And then I would say, I would argue, you know, I'm by no means any authority in surfing, but like I would argue the same point that your pop-up, depending on your timing that you pop up. I mean, when everyone's on the beach, you know, like you get your typical sort of, you line all the foamies up on the beach for the people, you know, and they get you paddling and then popping up on the beach or popping up on your board. It's not practical because when you're in the water, the board moves away from you as you pop up as well. So it's, again, it's that timing. It's knowing that, right, I'm on that point of the wave. I've paddled in, I've caught the wave. I know that my board is about to drop away from me. So I don't need to smash like a hundred percent effort into lifting my body up. I just need to let the board go away from me and replace that space that empty space with my body and, and that's and that's how you sweep someone in jiu-jitsu you, if you hit a scissor sweep you don't you don't move yourself so much you don't well you do move yourself but you, you it's a combination of moving your opponent moving yourself but you're also creating a negative space that you just replace your your body with your opponent's body and, it, and it's that same principle isn't it it's all, it's all biomechanics it's all movement yeah i 100 percent agree um and uh Moving into the kind of the breathwork space that I've I've been kind of working on as well, it's really interesting because I get the guys when they come onto the mat, and if someone has you know a couple of little um, niggles, I I do a couple of little techniques on them, and then you know they don't say anything because Bowen's really subtle, mm. um, and then you know five ten minutes later they're back on the mat again, and uh, you know they don't say anything because they think it's just kind of rested. And they've they've come mm. they've just come back into it, and it's the same with um, you know the breathwork side of things. I try to incorporate it a little bit with um, with the warm up, and uh, it made me chuckle the other day because it's all down to I believe that all these kind of things are how open you are and um, to different ideas and concepts, but also kind of how open minded you are as well mm. um and don't get me wrong i'm not i'm not picking on a specific person here but one of my students the other day when they were walking around and they were running around i was getting them to do like small breath holds mm. and uh, everyone was kind of like laughing but just doing it anyway and then the then the uh the guy goes um when are we actually gonna do some jujitsu and i was like well it was funny because he'd had the neck to say it uh bearing in mind you know it's my club and i'm teaching yeah um, and secondly 
what is one of the most fundamental things that you do yeah. in jujitsu and surfing is mm. your breath. If someone's in a reverse Kazakatami position like this, the traditional judo position and they're compressing on your lungs mm. and you only use your upper lung cavity to breathe, then that lower half becomes, you know, um, redundant and you're yeah. not able to, to use that to its full capacity. So if someone's sat on the top part of the chest, you can breathe with the bottom part of the chest. Same as neon belly. If someone gets your neon belly, like right down by your navel, you don't necessarily have to breathe from your, from the lower part of your diaphragm and your lungs. You can do small, short breaths mm. up in the top part of your lungs and still be able to, yeah, it's going to be uncomfortable, but maintain that, uh, you know, it, uh, and not tap to kind of the pressure. And then the flip side of it as well, you know, you go surfing and, you know, what's the main thing that stops you driving, drowning, breathing, yeah. you know, when you get what, when you wipe out and you have like a set after set on the top of your head, what are you doing? Breath holds. So if you're training your CO2 tolerances, um, and trying to explain this to, to people yeah. as well is, uh, is quite interesting. And, uh, something that I'm having to, to develop slowly to to kind of put the education through instead of going stop being bone mate and just fucking do it <laughs> yeah yeah some some people yeah some people will respond to the education other people respond to you being coach and just saying just just do it i, I know this is the right thing for you but no i mean you're literally teaching survival like that's that you're, you're teaching that person how not to tap from side control how not to tap from neon belly right so 100 percent. yeah i mean that's you know i'm sure you've when you're having like a big rolling session and you're a bit knackered that you've, you've got somebody who's you almost, you want a bit of a rest round. So you just pass their guard and, and exactly that sit in reverse scaffold and just rough <laughs> along to a couple of minutes. And then, uh, yeah. then you know, you're, you're teaching them, man. Exactly. Uh, mate, we've been going for about an hour now. So, uh, oh, we've got it's flown by, isn't it? I know. Right. Uh, warrior grips, where can people go and, uh, and, and get a pair? Um, you know, if you've got website addresses, Instagram, all yeah, that sort sure. of thing, and also your podiatry side of things as well. So if they're in the Cheltenham area. Yeah, cool, cool. So so um warriorgrips.com is uh, is the website and uh, it's it's a pretty pretty self-explanatory. you know, go go and have a look on the store. There's loads of info on there. I'm writing a page at the moment about common foot and ankle injuries as well in, in jujitsu, um and well in anything really in sports. So there's there'll be some more info on there soon. Um, there's a couple of different deals on there for sort of bundles of socks. And if anyone wants to use, uh, I stick a discount code in Grumpy Surfer 10. Um, so if anyone wants to, to use that, get 10% off their order as well. And yeah, appreciate any sort of follows on on Facebook and uh, Instagram and, and social channels. I've, I've, my, I'm, I've yet to delve into the world of TikTok and all that kind of stuff. But I, I, you, the more you read, the more you realize that's, that's the way you've got to go these days to sell any products. Um, but I just want to build that sort of, I want to build a community around it as well. So, you know, I really appreciate follows on social media. That sort of thing is, is really well received. Um, I, I have another website called Podipedia, P-O-D-I-P-E-D-I-A.co.uk, which is um, a directory of, of podiatrists around the UK. I, I run it with my friend, Emma, who, uh, who owns a clinic that I work for as well. And there's loads of sort of free information on there about foot and ankle injuries and, and things as well, if anyone's interested. And yeah, if, you, if wherever you are in the country, you can go on there and find a UK, like a, a HCPC, so a Healthcare and Professions Council registered podiatrist who we know will be trained to a certain standard 
near you. But yeah, Super, super Foot in Cheltenham is my clinic if anyone's up that way as well. Awesome, mate. Sam Chidwick, thank you very much for joining me on as the I really podcast, mate. Now, really appreciate the opportunity and uh, thank you so much for having me on. No worries, mate. And that's it. If you like the podcast, please like, share and subscribe on your podcast provider or leave us a little review on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Thanks for listening.